Well, I'm excited to kick off this new series uh, today because it really reflects who we are as a church. A city church, uh, we like to say, is a messy church, and that's because we welcome people from all kinds of backgrounds, uh, people who don't believe what we believe. We, we believe in providing a safe environment where people can actually be open about problems they have, even problems with Christianity. We want to create a setting where people can ask their hardest questions about Christianity, and, uh, you know, we want to be the kind of church that's for people who don't get church and don't go to church. And, we, and so we work hard at that. And so I, I just want you to know if that's you, uh, I want you to know you're, you're welcome here. We do exist for you. Uh, our, our desire is that all people would believe in Jesus, but we know you have to provide people space to get there and time to get there. And so that's a part of being a messy church. And, but we do want all people to believe in Jesus. And so I, I want to uh, say a word to those of you that call City Church your church. Over these last few weeks, I have asked you to help us continue to provide this safe community of grace uh, by getting on a generosity journey with me. And uh, if you've already taken a step of faith in that generosity journey, then I, all I want to say is thank you. God bless you. And, and I pray you would experience his blessing in your life. But if you haven't, uh, uh, taken that step yet, or if you've not heard me talk about the generosity journey, I have a visual that sort of depicts what I'm talking about. So uh, this generosity journey is about taking steps of faith. And so if you call City Church your church, but you've never given anything to the City Church movement, then I'm asking you to become a new giver and give for the first time. If you've given something to the City Church movement, but you don't give consistently, then I'm asking you to become a consistent giver. I'm asking you to get with your family and prayerfully consider what a step of faith would be for you and your family, and then each time you get paid, uh, you give that amount. Uh, if you're a consistent giver, but you're not a significant percentage giver, then the step of faith I'm asking you to take is to become a significant percentage giver and give 10% of what you make to the city church movement. Uh, the giving of 10% in, in the scriptures is called tithing. And we see it from Genesis, the first book of the Bible, all the way through Jesus. And there's a blessing that comes with the tithe. And then finally, if you're a, a percentage giver, but uh, the, your step of faith, what I'm asking you to do is become a legacy giver. And this is what I mean by that. I'm asking you to pay attention to God promptings when he prompts you to give something beyond the 10%, either to a need we have at church or a need with one of our social action partners, or maybe even a need in the community. And uh, I know for everybody who's taking this journey with me, it does take faith. It's just, there are steps of faith. Uh, and I know it will take a sacrifice, but please know that your sacrifice is making a difference. It, it's what helps us uh, and enables us to provide series like th this series that I'm kicking off today, where we will address problems people have with Christianity. And so over the, the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at like the problem of God's existence. We're going to look at the problem of suffering. Uh, we're going to look at the problem of exclusivity, like is Christianity intolerant and ex an exclusive religion? We're going to look at the problem of hypocrisy in Christian, uh, the Christian movement and throughout our history. There's been some things, uh, elements of the Christian movement that, you know, don't really fit with what we believe and, and yet... We did it, and so we're going to be honest about it. We're going to be open about it. We're going to address it. Uh, now, today, though, I want us to uh, look at the problem of science and Christianity. And I want us to answer the question, has science disproved Christianity? No. Well, I got one no. Uh, so last week, 
Last week, any of y'all here last week? Last week we talked about sex. It was good. <laughs> this week we're going to talk about science. <laughs> okay, so I need you to hang with me because this is going to, I'm going to get a little nerdy. I'm going to get a little sciencey today. So this talk, everybody just say, this is going to be different. It's going to be a different kind of talk. But if you hang with me, I think you'll see why this is so important because a lot of us feel the tension between science and Christianity. And I believe this tension has surfaced partly because some of us grew up in religious heritages that created this tension. We were presented like what I would like to call the anti-science God. And the anti-science God forces you to choose between religion and science. And it pits them against each other. It's like wherever, uh, if your faith and science collide, well, you have to choose faith and you have to ignore science. And the anti-science God says, hey, when you come into church, or at least it makes you feel this way, if you, when you come into church, you got to check your brain at the door. Anti-science God says, quit all that thinking and quit asking all those hard questions and just believe. Well, I want, you, I want to assure you, Jesus never asked people to quit thinking. He never asked people to check their brains at any door. Jesus never uh, considered uh, science and his movement to be at odds with each other. And I believe many church leaders have to take some responsibility for this feeling that there's a, that there's a like conflict between Christianity and science. Because truth is truth. Truth is just truth, all right? And so we're going to look at this tension today. Uh, some of you may be like me. I grew up in a rel religious heritage that made me at times feel like I had to choose between science or my faith. And I just think that's, that's not the right decision to make. There's another reason, though, that there is conflict between science and Christianity. And it's a different reason. You see, there's a movement that began in our generation. And this movement uh, has, has had influence in our culture. And it started... It started after Islamic religious fanatics attacked non-military sites in the United States on September the 11th, 2001. And after that, a, a wave of movement erupted that was anti-religious, and this movement is called, oftentimes called, New Atheism. Atheism is simply the belief that there is no God. And scientists like <coughs> Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins wrote scathing attacks not against radical Islam, but against all religion. They propose that all religion is the evil in our world. And they became like uh, atheistic rock stars. They appeared on late night TV. They, they did uh, tours across all the co college campuses across our country, preaching this, this, uh, this message of new atheism. They are YouTube sensations. Their debates with religious leaders have been seen millions and millions of times, and they sold millions and millions of books. And they argue that science has made it to where people don't need religion, and that anyone who holds on to religious beliefs is intellectually unsound. Let me let them speak for themselves. Dr. Dawkins says, faith is like a mental illness, a great cop-out. The excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. And he argues that you cannot be an intelligent scientific thinker and have religious beliefs. Dr. Harris agrees saying, <coughs> we have names for people who have beliefs for which there is no rational justification. When their beliefs are common, we call them religious. Otherwise, we call them mad, delusional, or psychotic. <laughs> 
In other words, if you have religious beliefs, you're mentally ill. Well, okay, we got one mentally, mentally ill person here today. All right. Now, at this point, you may be expecting me as a pastor to hammer these new atheists and to write some angry, you know, uh, post some angry blogs about them or something, but that's not going to happen. Um, because, like I said, we're the kind of church where new atheists are welcome. And, and if you're a new atheist, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. You're in the right community uh, to explore our faith, at least. In fact, I wished every new atheist in San Antonio would come to City Church. Because this is a safe place. We're, we're, we're going to explore different, you know, what different people say about different subjects. And we're okay with that. We provide a safe community where people can surface their biggest problems, even with our own faith. And uh, in my opinion, if Christianity is not intellectually reasonable, logical, and sound, then that's our bad, not theirs. And so they're welcome here. Now, uh, a, a pastor that I know in New York City has had people exploring faith uh, in his church too. And of course, you know, New York City is like a real melting pot of people from all over the world. And so he's created a safe environment where people can surface their, their issues with Christianity or their problems with it. And he, he quotes a couple of the students who talk to him about their problems with Christianity, and maybe their questions reflect questions that you have too. So one student's name is Thomas. He's a medical resident. And he said, my scientific training makes it difficult, if not impossible, to accept the teachings of Christianity. As a believer in evolution, I can't accept the Bible's pre-scientific accounts of the origins of life. Interesting. And then Michelle, also a medical student, added, and the Bible is filled with accounts of miracles. They simply could not have happened. Now, those of you who've been around for a while know that though I grew up in the church, I came to the place in my own spiritual journey where I questioned the intellectual foundation of my faith. Honestly, I wasn't even sure there was any. I had never heard of it, if, if there was any. And so I sort of you know, began to explore. You know, I looked at other religions, and I looked at the intellectual foundations behind Christianity. And the key for me was I refused to settle for simplistic answers like, well, the Bible says it, and that settles it. Or, well, you just got to believe. Because again... In, in my opinion, if, if the Christian faith is not reasonable, logical, and intellectually sound, then, you know, it's a pretty weak religion, in my opinion. And this issue matters. So I'm going to tell you why this matters to you. Because there is a movement in our culture. And you will be exposed to it. You are being exposed to it at times. And you're going to send your kid off to college or they're going to go out in the real world and they will be exposed to it either in the university setting or on social media like YouTube and Facebook. They're going to get this message and they need to know how to respond or to process it all. Or, or maybe you're, you've got friends or family members who they feel like they can't uh, consider the Christian faith because of their beliefs in science. And they feel like they're at, they're at odds that you can't hold on to one. Yeah, you have to hold on to one or the other. Or, or maybe the person who has questions or problems is you. And like I said, I'm glad you're here. If that's you, you're welcome here. We're going to unpack a little bit of this problem of the tension between Christianity and science. And in this series, I want to give atheists, agnostics, skeptics, critics, and open investigators a reason to believe. And if you do believe, like you believe already... I want to give you confidence that your Christian faith is reasonable, logical, and intellectually sound. 
So, how do you view science and Christianity? Are, do you see them at conflict with each other? And, and how, what about evolution? How does that fit with the creation narrative? And, and how about the Big Bang? How does that fit with a creator God? Are Christianity and science inevitably going to be at odds? Well, let's, let's talk about the relationship between science, Christianity, and the scriptures. And let, let me just first say, before we, before we look at a, a passage, um, I am not a trained scientist. And so I'm going to depend on the words of some who are trained scientists. I'm going to quote from them. But I am a trained theologian. I have two master's degrees. I have a doc, an earned doctorate. I spent six years studying Greek and Hebrew, which is the language that the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures and Christian scriptures are written in. And I do want to just say this about the scriptures as a trained theologian. The scriptures are not written as a scientific document. They are written as a gathering of narratives, poetry, law, <laughs> teachings, and prophecies to tell the story of a living God and his relationship with human beings created in his own image. But that does not mean these writings are in conflict with or contradict science. So let's, let's begin by looking at a passage from the Christian scriptures that links faith with a scientific assertion. It's like, it's like one of the few sciencey statements in the scriptures, and that's why I like it, because I'm sort of nerdy. And so we're gonna look at this. This is uh, Hebrews 11. Like I said, hang with me. This, this is gonna get juicy. It's gonna get juicy, I promise. Okay, this is Hebrews 11, one and three. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. We're gonna look at that in a minute. But this is the part I want you to notice, that last part. So what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That's the sort of sciency thing. Now, we understand that science only deals with what you can see. Science is about what you can observe. It's about the seen. Faith systems deal with the unseen. And that's true whether you believe in God or not, Right? not believing in God is a faith system itself because science can only deal with what you can see. And, and uh, where'd I go? Oh, here you go. Because you, okay. Because you can't see the unseen, then judgments about the unseen are not matters of science, they're matters of faith. And the Christian faith says this, that what we see, that science can observe, was made by the unseen and out of things that were not visible before they, they were where you could see them. You following me? Now, so back to my spiritual journey, I began wrestling with the intellectual foundations of my faith, and one of the first questions that I wrestled with is, has the universe just existed forever, or did it have a beginning, as the scriptures suggest? And unlike, uh, and so... Uh, Science guided me in this part of the journey because unlike other sciences that, that view the present, so most science is about observing what you can see right now, right here and now, and that's, that's, that's about the scene, right? But astronomy is not. Astronomy is actually a science that observes the past because light travels at a fixed speed. We can measure the conditions when light first emanated from whatever object is causing the light. So let me give you an example because I can tell you're checking out on me. Okay, you ready? 
when you go outside, <laughs> you look up at the sun, you're not seeing the sun as it is now. You're seeing the sun as it was eight minutes ago when light first left the sun, okay? That, that's, what, that's what astronomy uh, tells us, and it's about the, the speed of light. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Because in 1970, Dr. Stephen Hawking, probably one of the most famous scientists ever, you ever seen him on the Big Bang Theory? He had uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Anyway, in 1970, he proved that space and time originated at the same time that matter and energy did. In other words, time had a beginning. There is strong evidence, scientific evidence, that our universe began about 15 billion years ago. This is so important. Out of nothing. Dr. Francis Collins, who is a geneticist who headed the Human Genome Project, was an avowed atheist who ended up becoming a believer in Jesus, partly because of science. In his book entitled The Language of God, he wrote, We have very solid evidence that the universe had an origin, the Big Bang. This implies that before it, there was nothing. I can't imagine how the universe could have created itself. And the very fact that the universe had a beginning implies that someone began it. And it seems to me that someone had to be outside of nature. I believe our universe has evidence that a being, a non-material being outside of the, the closed system that is our universe created the universe and began it at a point in time. And that's why I say, I think the Christian faith is reasonable, logical, and intellectually sound. It's one of the reasons why I believe in God, that he's the first cause of our universe. Now, the writer of Hebrews was pointing back to the creation narrative. We're going to look at that in a second. But I thought before we looked at that, it would be fun to talk about the five worst creations that were ever made. And so this is, this is, a, this is my gift to you. And these are my five worst creations. You ready? Number five, Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Anything that smells that bad is just, that's just not right. Fourth worst creation, futons. It's the uncomfortable. Follow me, man. It's the uncomfortable couch that turns into an uncomfortable bed. Who created that? My apologies to all of the futon owners in, in, in the audience. Okay. Uh, third worst creation. Green garnishes on plates. I mean, if, if you want to make my plate look better, don't put parsley on it. Put bacon on it, baby. <sighs> uh, second worst creation. Legos. Parents, how many times have you stepped on one barefoot? You know what I'm talking about, and you cursed it. Mm. Dang them Legos. And the number one worst creation, the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> yeah, take that, LeBron. Okay. I'm sorry, I have ADHD, so you got you to you try. Okay, back to Genesis. You ready? All right. So, so get this. The creation narrative is about how God took something formless and chaotic and made it complex and beautiful. All right. Uh, and remember, you know, uh, okay, so Genesis, there's two accounts of creation. There's Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Genesis 1, 
if you look at the Hebrew, is written in poetic form. The words and the, the meter of it tells you that. Genesis 2 is just like this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And all I'm saying is, when you read poetry, you have to take, you have to take it for what it is and read it from that perspective, all right? So this is Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Some of your versions say void, chaotic, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God, the immaterial God, was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, the Hebrew word translated there, create, uh, literally means to form or shape something. So get this, when God created, the formless became formed, the simple became more complex. And these observations are very significant scientifically because science tells us that we should see the opposite. We should see the opposite. We should see that which is complex becoming more simple, that which is formed becoming formless. Now, why do I say that? It's because of a scientific law that's called the second law of thermodynamics. And so basically, the second law of thermodynamics says this. In a closed, uh, closed universe like ours is, the amount of energy that exists is decreasing. So after the Big Bang and all of the energy was released, ever since then, energy, useful energy, is decreasing. And because useful energy is decreasing, it means that what is orderly should become chaotic. What is complex should become simple. So let me give you a couple of simplistic examples of what the second law of thermodynamics tells us. If I had a deck of cards in my hand and I dropped the deck of cards, the second law of thermodynamics tells us that no matter how many times I drop it, it will never become a card house. It will become a mess. Chaos. Let me give you another example. If you take a Toyota Corolla and stick it out in a field, no matter how long you leave it there, it will never become a Porsche Carrera S with red leather seats. No matter how bad you want it, it will eventually rust. It won't become more complex. It will become more simple. Chaos. Dr. Arthur Wilder Smith, a chemist, asserts, atheistic evolutionists assume that non-living carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen atoms have slowly ordered and organized themselves into more complex, more energy-rich, less chaotic forms. This assumption stands against the observable second law of thermodynamics. Unless there is a being outside of that closed system influencing that system in the other way so that what is simple becomes more complex, so that what is formless becomes formed. And the Christian faith suggests that that being is God, the creator. Now, the rest of the Genesis 1 account of creation, here's what's interesting. It describes increasingly more orderly forms and increasingly more complex living beings. Even though it wasn't written in science, it's, it fits with what science tells us. I mean, okay, first there was light, there was darkness, the light came into the darkness, then the waters below separate, were separated from the waters above, then land formed, but still no living things, then plants came into being according to the Genesis count. So now you're getting life. 
And then birds and fish. So it's more complex living thing. Then it's animals, so more complex, and then ultimately human beings, the most complex. What is seen came from the immaterial. And science tells us that. The chaotic is becoming orderly against the laws of science. The simple are becoming increasingly more complex. And I believe that's because of God, the creator of that universe. That's my faith system. So I want to go back to the question. Has science disproved Christianity? Science can't disprove or prove Christianity because it only deals with what is seen. So the issue is not about what does science say per se. It's about uh, what faith system makes the most sense. New atheism is a faith system. Christianity is a faith system. And there are other faith systems. And Christianity and new atheism, I think they're both reasonable. I think they're both logical. I think they're both intellectually sound. I get it. You know, I can understand both. The question is, which one fits with what we can see? Because any faith system is about the unseen and how it helps you interpret what is seen. And I came to the place in my own spiritual journey where I believed it takes more faith to believe that the universe as we see it and experience it happened without God than it did to believe in God. And I, I, I came to the place where I believe that a science fits very well with the Christian faith. And multitudes of PhD scientists agree with me. Let me tell you why I say that. Because there's a common misperception That real scientists, you know, the real ones that have PhDs in their field, they're renowned, that they are overwhelmingly atheists or agnostic. Uh, They're certainly not religious. And that's just absolutely not the case. There's a survey of over 3,300 PhD scientists in the United States, and they found that more than half of them participated in church services regularly. Another survey done by the Scientist Journal in 2003 found that 52% of biologists identify themselves as Christians. And here's what that tells me. As scientists, the faith system that helps them make sense of what they see is Christianity. The Christian faith is reasonable, logical, and intellectually sound. And I wanted to end my message by sharing with you the story of one atheist scientist who became a believer in Jesus partly uh, through an intellectual journey. Okay, so his name is Dr. Henry Schaefer, and uh, he wrote my favorite book that's on the science Christianity thing. It's called Christianity and Science, Conflict or Coherence. It's a brilliant book. It's based on a series of lectures that he gave all around the country. Anyway, Dr. Schaefer did not grow up in a believing home. He said he called it like nominally Episcopalian, but he said his parents taught him that most of the stories in the Bible were mythological, and by the time he went to MIT uh, in Boston to study chemical physics, he said he was an atheist, he was grounded in it, and he believed Christianity to be intellectually unsound. But during his studies, he kept coming across scientists who were renowned in their fields who claimed to believe in Jesus, and that threw him a little bit. 
Anyway, he ended up getting his PhD in, in chemical physics from Stanford University, became a professor at UCAL Berkeley in, in chemistry. And uh, because of his research and writing, he was five times nominated for the Nobel Prize in chemistry. And what I find interesting is during all of that, that time, he kept going to church, even though he was an atheist, because he thought it might actually help him be a better person. Well, one Easter Sunday, his pastor got up and made this bold assertion. He said, this whole business of Christianity is a sham if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Well, Dr. Schaefer was startled by that statement, and so he caught his pastor after the service, and he asked his pastor about it, and, the, and the, his pastor asked him, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? And he said, absolutely not. And then his pastor said, well, have you ever investigated the evidence for the resurrection? And Dr. Schaefer had to admit, no, he had not. And for the next three years, Dr. Schaefer uh, investigated the historical and logical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And over those three years, he in, ended up concluding intellectually that he believed Jesus had risen from the dead. And because of that, he began to read the story of Jesus' life and his teachings and what he said. And he began to read the Christian scriptures. And his heart and his mind became influenced. And Dr. Schaefer reflected on the moment that he believed. And these are his words. He writes, I realized that I could know that I am going to heaven, but not because of any adequacy of my own. For those who want to enter heaven on their own merits, the standard is perfection. And I knew that my life did not, measure, did not even measure up to my own standards, not to mention the standards of a holy God. But Jesus did live that perfect life, and he died on the cross for all who put their trust in him. Jesus took the punishment for my sins, which are many. By trusting exclusively in Christ, I will be able to stand in the presence of the God of the universe. There was no one with me to lead me in a prayer, but on that day, a Berkeley professor of chemistry realized that he had become a Christian, and I knew my life would never be the same. Yeah. <clears throat> And so, if you have a problem with Christianity, I get it. That's okay. Dr. Schaefer did too. I, I had a season in my life where I, I wrestled with it. It's okay. And part of why I told you Dr. Schaefer's story is it took him three years of exploring and investigating. And what I want to say to you is you, you, you can come here as long as you want to, even if you don't believe what we believe. If you want to explore the faith, you're welcome. And we'll do everything we can to help, help you see the evidence for why we believe what we believe. But I, I do want to say, check out the evidence. The Christian faith is reasonable. It is logical. It is intellectually sound. It is defensible. And I have found it to be compelling. And that's why I do believe Jesus is the Son of God. And what, what I find even more compelling, now that I believe is that the same God of the universe who created the, the universe like that we can see, that he loves you. And that may be the most important part of the message. Um, so keep on looking. Keep on investigating. 
He will be found by you. Let's pray together. Lord God, first of all, I just want to say thank you um, for such a beautiful creation. And the more we explore, I just love science. I love the scientists who are showing us more and more about, you know, atoms and, and the different things that we couldn't even see before. And it shows us such an orderliness and it's so beautifully designed. And I just want to say thank you. And Lord God, I, I do thank you that as the God of the universe, that you love us. And my prayer is that those who are uh, searching for you or seeking after you, I pray that they would be found. Um, I pray that they would find you. I pray that you would bring evidence across their paths that would help them believe. Uh, not only to believe that you exist, that you created the universe, but even more, that you love them. And so, uh, so I do pray for that, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.